for listening to the podcast of Sojourn Church Carlisle. Our church seeks to embody three values, maturity, multi-ethnicity, and missionality as we live on mission in South Louisville and beyond. In this series, we will take a deeper look at our value of multi-ethnicity, seeking to further understand how God has called us to reveal and exemplify the gospel while celebrating his multifaceted kingdom. Peace be with you. So glad you guys are here with us today to continue uh, Church on the Lawn. For those who don't know me, my name is Nick Wirens. I serve as one of the pastors here. Um, today we're going to be starting a new sermon series, so I want to uh, invite you to turn with me today in Galatians 3. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 9. Um, and as you turn there, I just kind of want to let you know what our plan is for the next five weeks. We're going to be unpacking um, one of our church's values. If you're new here, uh, our church has three values, maturity, multi-ethnicity, and missionality. Those come straight from Ephesians 4, so it's not some like cool thing we made up, right? This is God's vision that we believe he's bestowed upon us as a church. So we're going to be doing in this sermon series specifically is we're going to be looking and narrowing in on the value of multi-ethnicity and unpacking what that means for us as a church. To define it, when we talk about the value of multi-ethnicity, simply put, we desire to reveal and exemplify the gospel while celebrating God's multifaceted kingdom. So again, we seek to reveal and exemplify the gospel while celebrating God's multifaceted kingdom. So each week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of those key words and unpack even what those mean in that definition. So today, what we're going to look at is the gospel revealed. The gospel revealed. So we'll look at Galatians 3, starting in verse 7. We'll read verses 7 through 9, and then later, um, you can keep your Bible open. We're going to look at um, verses 26 through 29. But for the reading, we're going to read Galatians 3, 7 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. You know then that those who have faith These are Abraham's sons and daughters. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaimed the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we do thank you that you have revealed the gospel to us. God, that what what was once hidden or or veiled is revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. We ask God, uh, just at the outset of this sermon series, that we would better understand who we are as a church and what we believe that you have called us to. And even here this morning, God, we ask that your gospel would be magnified that we would truly understand what the gospel is and what Jesus has done for us and is continuing to do for us. We ask that you would speak to us this morning, God, through the power of your spirit. Pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. You can be seated. So today we're, we're looking at the gospel revealed And before we start, we need to ask the question, what is the gospel? 
What is the gospel? If we're real with ourselves, it's kind of a nebulous term. It's hard to pin down because definitions abound. But I don't think the the problem, there are so many different definitions of the gospel is because the gospel is confusing, but rather because the gospel is so robust. Here's a few uh, different definitions of what the gospel is from well-known pastors through different eras. Martin Luther says, the gospel is a story about Christ, God's and David's son, who died and was raised and established as Lord. This is the gospel in a nutshell. If, you're, uh, if your current gospel definition includes David's son, good on you. That's awesome. Richard Sibbs, uh, a Puritan pastor, he says, what is the gospel itself but a merciful moderation in which Christ's obedience is esteemed as ours and our sins laid upon him, wherein God from being a judge becomes our father, pardoning our sins and accepting our obedience, though feeble and blemished. We are now brought to heaven under the covenant of grace by way of love and mercy. Fast forwarding of a few hundred years in church history, Craig Bartholomew, who's a New Testament scholar, he says, gospel from the old English God spell, good tale in parentheses, means good news. And this is the best news there can be, he says. And here's his very simple definition. In Jesus, the kingdom of God has come. And then well-known pastor John Piper, to get you a good uh, gospel definition with some glory in it, he says, the gospel is the good news of our final and full enjoyment of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That this enjoyment had to be purchased for sinners at the cost of Christ's life makes his glory shine all the more brightly. The gift is Christ himself as the glorious image of God, seen and savored with everlasting joy. So, so all these definitions from different pastors who are well-respected and all we would consider orthodox, they all say something a little bit different. Why is that? What then is the gospel still? Is the gospel about the cross, about Jesus' historic, objective life lived on earth? Is it just about the cross, his life, death, and resurrection? Is the gospel about sonship, about our adoption as sons and daughters of God? This stresses our new identity that we have as Christ's adopted children. Or even still, is the gospel about the kingdom of God that we saw all throughout Matthew, which stresses Jesus' lordship over creation and the inbreaking of the kingdom here and now? The answer is yes, right? When someone asks you if you want bacon or sausage, you say yes, right? The gospel is like that. It it requires all those. There's no right or wrong on these things, right? The gospel is about the cross. It's about our adoption. It's about the kingdom. It's about all of them. The answer is yes. And the reason there is such diversity of gospel definitions is because, not, not because the gospel is confusing, but because it is beautifully diverse and beautifully robust, Pastor uh, Tim Keller, in one of my favorite books, Center Church, he writes this, there's an irreducible complexity to the gospel. I do not mean that the gospel can't be presented simply and even very briefly. The gospel is clear, is a clear and present word, but it is not a simplistic word. 
Keller goes on, he says, for himself and for the reader, I want to resist the impulse, mainly among conservative evangelicals, small c, little, little e, toward creating a single one-size-fits-all gospel presentation that should be used everywhere that serves as a test of orthodoxy. What, what Keller is saying is that the gospel is actually this beautiful, multifaceted diamond that if you look at it from different angles and different places, if you will, it refracts light differently in beautiful ways. He's not saying that truth is subjective or that the gospel itself is subjective, but rather that the gospel is so robust, so transcendent, that we too should strive to uphold this transcendence that the gospel has and recognize that if we're not careful, our definitions of what the gospel is can be reduced to simplistic, truncated gospel presentations. Whether you've been around a while or you're new to Sojourn, um, one of the things that we, we try to do is define the gospel primarily in three aspects, all right? This is not to say that there are three gospel messages, that there are three different presentations of the gospel, but rather that like a diamond, if you look at it from different angles and understand the beauty fully, there are three different aspects that can be highlighted if you look at the testimony of scripture. There's the aspect of God's kingdom, life with God under God's rule. We heard that in one of our definitions earlier. Of course, there, there's the aspect of the cross that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we are saved. And then lastly, there's this aspect of God's grace. If you look at Pauline literature, uh, Pauline writing, like constantly he talks about God's grace and the gospel of God's grace poured out for us, that God's acceptance of us is freely given through Christ's expense. So again, this is not three different gospels. This is one gospel testimony with three different aspects. Again, the idea is that we would not have a simplistic, truncated gospel that only speaks to one area of our life, but rather that we would uphold this robust and transcendent gospel that speaks to every area of our life. So simply put, and using all three of those aspects, I would define the gospel as the good news that we enter God's kingdom through God's cross, by God's grace. So we enter the kingdom through God's cross, by God's grace. Again, trying to hold all three of those different aspects of the gospel together as one beautiful, robust gospel. And of course, I recognize that any definition I give is reducing, right? If the gospel is so transcendent and so robust that even my definition is reducing the gospel in some way but we still need to seek to hold together all the pieces. Now, why, why all this talk about a robust gospel? Why, why does this even matter? Well, the text that we just looked at in Galatians 3 gives us a little bit of a different spin on the gospel. Look at what Paul says in Galatians 3, 8 through 9 again. He says, Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaimed the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying right? He's equating this gospel that was presented ahead of time to what he's about to say right now, saying to Abraham, all the nations will be blessed through you. What is Paul saying here? What does he mean? Well, 
Today, as we look at the gospel revealed, I, I wanna argue that if not a part of it, a very, very intimately tied implication of the gospel is God's creating of his multi-ethnic church. Throughout Paul's writing, he refers to this very idea of God's multi-ethnic church. He refers to it as a mystery that has been revealed in the coming of Christ. Now, of course, praise be to God, we're on the other side of the mystery where we know what the mystery was. It's revealed to us. But still, some of us miss it, even though it's revealed. Now, this mystery, okay, it's not like the new Netflix, Netflix show, Unsolved Mysteries. My wife had that on while I was reading, and at the end of it, they didn't solve the mystery. It was still unsolved. I was like, what's the point? Like, you loosely put together some facts that may or may not have been a crime. I don't know. You know, it's not like that, right? Okay, so the mystery is, is not hidden from us still. It's clearly revealed to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So because of that, I, I, I liken it more uh, to like Ocean's Eleven, right? Where you get all the way through the movie, you see that they've done this heist, but you're still like scratching your head. How did they do that? And then this amazing montage happens, you know, Brad Pitt and George Clooney running around, puppeteering all these things. And then you look back as that montage is playing out, you are able to see all the little Easter eggs or the seeds that were left for you throughout the movie. And then it's like, oh, that all makes sense now. Right, so that, that's what this mystery is like. As we look at the gospel revealed, we're gonna see that throughout the Old Testament, God has been leaving these little seeds, these little Easter eggs, if you will, for us to find in the Old Testament, revealing that his gospel is about making and creating a multi-ethnic church. So to look at this mystery, we, we, to see the gospel revealed, we have to first look at all these mysterious seeds that God has left for us. And we'll look at the gospel veiled. Again, it's not completely hidden. We see, um, we see seeds of it laid down and have a little bit of understanding. But look, um, well, you don't have to turn there, but Genesis 12, one through three. This is the passage that Paul referenced as we read in Galatians. Here's what we read in Genesis 12, one through three. The Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives in your father's house saying, leave where you are, go to the land that I will show you. I will make you, God, I will make you a great nation. I, God, will bless you, Abraham. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And hear this, this is what Paul says the gospel is in Galatians. All the peoples on earth, will be blessed through you. So God said he, he's going to make Abram, Abram a, a great nation. And through Abram, now we know as Abraham, through him, all nations will be blessed. So that this is the start of God's multi-ethnic people. But this isn't just a one-time occurrence. Like God doesn't say, I'm gonna promise this. And then we skip all the way to the gospel revealed in Christ and then he picks up on his agenda again. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. The first really big example is in the Exodus account. So God's people are under slavery in Egypt and God frees them from slavery. This was a key event in Israel's history. You, could pro you should probably call it a salvation event. Let those words hit your ears as I read this. Look at 
what happens in, in Exodus 12, 37 through 38. It says the Israelites traveled from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 able-bodied men on foot besides their families. I wanted to wait because this is really important. All right. Exodus 12, 38, write it down. You can look it up later. I'm not making this up. It says a mixed crowd also went up with them. A mixed crowd went up with God's people. Scholars note that the Hebrew word here indicates a mixed people, a mixed race. Milton Acosta Benitez, um, he's an Old Testament professor at Seminario Biblico in Colombia. He writes, from the very beginning of Israel's history as a nation, and this is where that salvation language of the Exodus is so important. Salvation was possible, not just for Israel, but for all sorts of people. So one of the pillar events in Israel's salvation history, one that Christ mimics as we look back, the Exodus plays out all throughout scripture. One of the key events in Israel's history, God saved people, God saved people from every ethnicity, from other ethnicities, not just the Israelites. And again, that's not the only example in the Old Testament, right? Moses, he marries a Midianite woman, somebody from outside of the tribe of Israel. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, he plays a big role in, in giving wisdom to Moses. Again, he's listening to somebody outside of the Israelite ethnic group. In the book of Joshua, Rahab, who's a Canaanite prostitute, not an Israelite prostitute, becomes part of God's people because she understood what God was doing at that time in Israel's history. The biblical heroine Ruth was from Moab, one of Israel's great enemies. Uriah, a faithful member of King David's military, was a Hittite. Then in the book of 2 Kings, we read about this story of, of a man named Naaman who served as the general of the Syrian army. He experienced healing through one of Israel's great prophets, Elisha. And then he went on to denounce the God that he was serving in Syria and give allegiance to Yahweh, the God of Israel, a Syrian man. And just to add a little more to that, Jesus talked about Naaman, again, recognizing his ethnicity as a Syrian in Luke 4, 27. Again, go look at it. Jesus himself is saying, look at this guy from outside our people group he was saved physically and spiritually by Yahweh. So the gospel, it's clear, but it's not clear. We're starting to see that God is sowing gospel seeds all throughout the Old Testament, but they haven't fully sprouted yet. We don't fully understand how this is gonna happen. To use Paul's language, the mystery hasn't fully been revealed. So to move on to, to look at the gospel revealed, I want to invite us to look a little bit further on in Galatians 3, 26 through 29. So remember, Paul said in verses eight through nine that God spoke the gospel to Abram, telling him that all nations would be blessed through him. This was the promise that Abraham um, and God's people held on to for centuries, but they still didn't know how. God, how are you going to do this? We, we trust in your promise, but how are you actually going to make this happen? And this is the part maybe in, in Oceans 11, right? Galatians 3, 26 through 29, the montage starts playing and all the puzzle pieces start coming together. Here's what Paul writes. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. 
For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. So there it is, the the gospel revealed to us that it is in and through Jesus that we are declared sons and daughters of God. Paul says it's not about whether you are black or white, Asian or Latino. It is about being in Christ. That's the gospel revealed. Now that doesn't mean that once you become a Christian, you check your ethnicity at the door. We're not saying that that doesn't play a part. Again, in our definition, our desire is to celebrate the multifaceted kingdom of God. And like we wouldn't deny other biological realities like your maleness or femaleness, we are not denying in Christ that your ethnicity doesn't matter. In saying this, okay, Paul is saying that you are clothed in Christ. That is now your primary identifier. That's the thing that unites us as a church. It's not our ethnicity that unites us. It's not our class that unites us. It's not our gender that unites us. Our unity comes in and through Christ. Pastor Derwin Gray is a pastor in Charlotte. Uh, he He writes this about Galatians 3. He says, the gospel is about God's being faithful in Jesus to Abraham to fill the earth, as we saw in Genesis 12, to fill the earth with his multi-ethnic Jew-Gentile family. And this multi-ethnic family would be a living temple, God's dwelling place on earth. Now, if if you're tense, maybe you're like, hold on a second. That's not the gospel that I know. The gospel doesn't talk about your ethnicity. But I would ask, what gospel? If you have, again, if you have a truncated view of the gospel, that it, my, my salvation is only about me and Jesus and my sins, nothing else, then sure, yeah, it's hard to fit ethnicity in there. It's hard to talk about hard issues. But look, Paul elaborates on what he defines as the gospel in Ephesians 2. This is a longer quote. So again, write this down, check it out later. Ephesians 2, 12 through 19. At that time, you Gentiles, those outside of the ethnic group of Israel, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross. You see that? So through the cross, Paul says, two groups become one. 
Sounds a little bit bigger than just me, Jesus, and my sins. He came and proclaimed, hear this, the good news. Also in the Greek translated gospel, the good news of peace. To you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. So Paul says that Jesus himself preached the good news, the gospel of peace, that in and through him, God's family is is made up of every tribe, tongue, and nation. I'm not saying y'all, I'm not saying that the gospel is less than Jesus saving us from our sins. That's not what I'm saying. But the gospel is certainly more than that. Here's what legendary minister and civil rights activist, John Perkins writes. He says, for too long, many in the church have argued that unity in the body of Christ across ethnic and class lines is a separate issue from the gospel. There has been the suggestion that we can be reconciled to God without being reconciled to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he says this, and I think he's right. Scripture does not bear that out. Scripture does not say that. We need to know and understand that the gospel is more than a vertical experience and a vertical reality. In 1 John, it says that we know that we have experienced salvation if we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. That Ephesians 2 passage, it says that through the cross, the two have become one. Even if you say it's not a part of the gospel, which I would argue against, it's very, very intimately tied. It's a very, very direct implication of the gospel. Look, even even here in our services, we try to practice this, right? In the passing of the peace, you're like, that's the greeting hour. That's not the greeting hour, right? Every time we do that, we say we have peace with God and peace with one another. It's a reminder to us. We're rehearsing that together, that we have peace with God and peace with one another. The gospel is more than a vertical reality. Look, the reason I I took such great labor in the beginning to, to talk about the importance of having a robust gospel is because I believe that much of debate that happens today, especially in the church, is a result of having a truncated gospel. And I fear that maybe even some of us have a truncated view of the gospel. One that only deals with our spiritual lives and has no import on everything else. In his book, Oneness Embraced, uh, Pastor Tony Evans, he says this, and I think this is very helpful. He says, there's, and just before, before you get all jumpy at me, like we're arguing on Facebook, if you hear the word justice, I don't have time to unpack justice or what it means. We're gonna go past that and talk about the gospel in this definition, okay? So just please let your guard down, hear and listen. Be slow to speak in your brain and quick to listen. Here's what Tony Evans says. There is some confusion today about the implications of the gospel and to what degree the gospel includes the mandate of justice. Again, check your definitions at the door. We can't deal with that right now. Some Christians believe that to include social liberation and justice in the gospel is to preach a different gospel. 
Others believe that to exclude social liberation and justice as part of the gospel is to deny the gospel. And here's the part that I think is helpful, okay? He goes on to say that when we wanna have this conversation, what we need to do is differentiate between the content of the gospel and the scope of the gospel. The content, he says, and yes and amen, is limited and contained, right? I, I, I am not, nor are we as a church arguing that outside of, outside of Jesus, the content of the gospel, anything can happen. The content is unchanging. It's the life and work of Christ. That's fixed, unchanging, fundamental. If it's not there, we're not a church. However, this is what Evan says, and I think he's right. He goes on to say the gospel's scope reaches further into sanctification, within which is located the concepts of justice and social action. Again, I'm not speaking to justice and social action right now, but the reality that Evans is arguing is that the scope of the gospel takes us beyond just an entry ticket into the kingdom of heaven, okay? If that's all we think the gospel is, <laughs> we are giving people a truncated gospel. One of my, my favorite artists, uh, Bonnie Vare, he's got this song called Heavenly Father. That's not, um, I'm not saying his work's Christian, okay? I listen to music outside of Christian music. Uh, you can email jfields at sojournchurch.com if you want to talk to him about that. But he, he, he has this song called Heavenly Father. And, and really, if you look at it, um, I think it's somebody that's wrestling with a misunderstanding of what the gospel is. At the end of the song, he says, Heavenly Father is all that he offers a safety in the end. And I listened to it. The song is so beautiful, but at the end, I'm like screaming, no, that's not it. If, if all we're giving people is an entry ticket into heaven, we are giving them a puny Jesus who can't do anything for them until they die. The gospel scope, okay? The content is unchanging, hear me. It's in and through Christ, but the scope, it reaches every area of our lives. Pastor J.D. Greer, he says, the gospel's not the diving board, it's the whole pool. Tim Keller, again, he says, it's not, the gospel's not just the ABCs of Christianity, it's the A to Z. If we don't believe that the scope of the gospel touches every aspect of our lives, our spiritual lives, our physical lives, our emotional lives, our relational lives, then we're believing in a truncated gospel. We're, belie we're believing in a gospel that's weak. And that's not an issue with the gospel. That's a misunderstanding on our part. Dr. Martin Luther King, he hits on this in one of his essays. He says, the gospel at its best deals with the whole man, not only his soul, but his body, not only his spiritual well-being, but his material well-being. Any religion that professes to be concerned about the souls of man and is not concerned about the slums that damn them the economic conditions that strangle them and the social conditions that cripple them is a spiritually moribund religion awaiting burial. He's saying that if we don't have a gospel that is bigger than our spiritual lives, it's a gospel on life support. I don't want a Christianity on life support. 
Look, if, if we don't believe in a gospel that speaks to our everyday lives, I don't think we're believing in the gospel of scripture. The gospel is, is bigger than we could ever imagine. And our, our need for it is greater than we can ever comprehend. The, the invitation to us today as a church, as we begin this sermon series, y'all, it's, it's to believe in the whole gospel, to hold it all together as hard as it might be. We need to believe that the, the scope of the gospel is so immeasurable that it, we've seen in history, it transcends space, it transcends time, it transcends social location. The gospel is so robust and we need to do our best to grab hold of it all, to hold of the whole thing. If, if, we, if we narrow and, and truncate the gospel, it's impossible for it to have an import in our daily lives. But what's beautiful about the gospel is that it does transcend everything, yet it also speaks to our particularities. The gospel has effect on your home. The gospel has an effect on those you work with in your office. The gospel has effect on uh, on your neighborhood. It has an effect on our city. That's only if we have a gospel big enough to reach into the particulars of all those things. Look with me again at Galatians. Starting in verse eight, it says, God proclaimed this good news, this gospel message to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. Down in verse 26, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. The, the promise of the gospel that God made to Abraham, that he would make a new people from many peoples, it was fully revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. The gospel that was veiled, that we saw little seeds for throughout the Old, Old Testament is now fully revealed in him. Who through the cross, Ephesians 2 says, made one new man. It's in him that we're united. Every week when we gather together, uh, we take a meal called communion. If you need your uh, little portioned communion cups, you can grab those now. The, the reason we, we celebrate this meal is because it reminds us of the work of Christ in our lives. And what's beautiful is that it doesn't only look back, but it looks forward. It looks forward to um, the, the feast that we see in Revelation. And at that feast, people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation will be there. So when we take this meal together, that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the reality that we are now united in Christ. We're clothed in him. But we're also celebrating a future meal to take place where every tribe, tongue, and nation will be present. So as Jesus was with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, he blessed it and broke it, he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. Let's take and eat the bread together.
Then on that same night, Jesus took the cup of wine. And after giving thanks, he, he gave it to his disciples and said, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for, the, for, the, for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's take and drink this cup together. Church, Paul tells us that as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we're actually pronouncing, announcing Christ's death until he returns. So we're rehearsing together. We're announcing together this reality that we are united in Christ, that through the gospel, we are a multi-ethnic people. And as we take this meal, we look forward to the, the day when every tribe, tongue, and nation will be gathered together, eating together, feasting together at the Supper of the Lamb. Let's pray. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.